With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Berry. And Brett, the roller coaster that is Arizona football can be summed up like this, I think. Last week, our lead story was Arizona losing a player, Tony Fields, a key contributor, someone who was one of the best players on a defense that needed more best players. This week, we're going to lead with Arizona football adding quite a bit of talent in their recruiting classes, one for this upcoming season, a few for next season. And one of them, you watch the film, you see the list or the list of other schools that were after me like, wow, that's not bad. So in the last week, it's been, I guess, going up for Arizona. Yeah, last last pod when we talked with Justin Spears by the end of it we were definitely in the doldrums talking about the <laughs> the downward trajectory losing Tony Fields losing recruiting battles you know unsure about what the class we have currently the direction of the program and I'm pretty sure that night we recorded we got a, a nice local kid commit yeah which yeah. Su- suddenly you know not just that he's a local kid but also a local kid with some talent uh, and then the the hits just keep on coming for the Arizona football in terms of adding guys that are not just intriguing talent, but guys that are, uh, you know, appear to be more highly pursued and highly rated. Yeah. Because if there was one criticism to date, it was that this roster had more quantity over quality. And suddenly, you know, if you go by 247 Sports, I think we added two or three of the top four or five guys in the last week, not not even counting the, the, the transfers. Yeah, it seems like momentum, right? Where it's like the recruiting class has been picking up. And you might as well start naming names here. They're, they picked up a JUCO guy, Isaiah Mays, who was for the 2020 class, assuming there's football this next season, he'd be eligible to play the next time Arizona takes the field. But the recruits Arizona got, we'll start with Stevie Rocker, the running back, who's from Tucson. And Arizona, they already got Montrell Johnson, who is one of the more highly rated recruits from Louisiana, from New Orleans. But then you get Stevie Rocker from CDO, and he's fairly highly thought of, and he's a local guy. And I think I was reading a tweet or I saw a thing where it's like of the top 20-something prospects from the state of Arizona, Arizona and ASU have combined to land one of them, and that's Arizona landing Stevie Rocker. So he's a talented player who had some pretty decent offers, and he's a hometown kid who Arizona is keeping in Tucson. Yeah, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he kind of grew up in the shadow at CDO High School of Kadeem Carey, so he's got some big shoes to fill if he he sticks around as a running back. 
you know, I'm pretty sure a friend of the pod, Ralph Amsden, went on uh, the Wildcaster and was talking about how he viewed Stevie Rocker as a potential Chase Lucas type of just athlete that might even be able to translate to a different position. So yeah. if you're concerned just about, uh, you know, the running back room having all of the talent and we're not spreading it around, you know, I think there's there's reasons to say, hey, this is the plan for now, but those things can change. Um but yeah, you know, for, in terms of building a pipeline, getting some relations with local schools and talent coming in, and a guy that just has some talent that you feel pretty good about, that was a nice little, uh, uh, nice commit for the for the Wildcats and the coaching staff. Yeah, he's six foot, one hundred eighty-five pounds, the number one hundred five running back in the twenty twenty-one class, number eighteen ranked in Arizona, and his other offers included BYU, California, Nevada. So these aren't like SEC schools, but these are pretty decent football programs, especially when you compare them to, say, Arizona. <laughs> and, and I look at this, and I'm not one of those people who is upset or you know, getting all angry that Arizona hasn't been recruiting the state of Arizona because I don't think you have to recruit Arizona to be good. Like I'd take prospects from Texas, California, and Louisiana and win 10 games and be happy with that, right? Like It's nice to get local recruits, but in the last recruit, it's like Lathan Ransom left there was a B. John Robinson went to I think Texas Ransom went to Ohio State these are Tucson guys who are like why isn't Arizona getting these players it's like really you expect Arizona to be landing guys over Ohio State over Texas and yeah in a perfect world they would but given the case like given what it is for Arizona I'm not expecting that so does that mean I want them to have an all Arizona list roster no because it's nice to get a guy to stay home right especially a player who like Stevie Rocker who could go other places. He was a pretty good player. It's nice to keep those guys in Tucson. So I think this checks a lot of boxes for people and say, you know what, he's a good player. He's a good athlete. And like Ralph said in the podcast, the Wildcaster podcast, maybe ends up in the defensive secondary. But for the people who want Arizona to keep local kids, they've kept a local kid. Yeah, there's there, there's there's really not any downside other than if you're going to nitpick, you say, hey, we're already loaded at running back. But I already kind of addressed that where I don't, mm-hmm. you don't know that that's where he's going to end up at. So, you know, there's, if, if you're going to start finding something to criticize, you don't criticize the staff or, uh, you know, the, the recruiting class with Stevie Rocker. And for some reason, Arizona is good at recruiting running backs. And I guess it's their running game. Their running backs have been good really since Rich Rod was here. You know, like it seems like their running game has not been an issue. And I guess if you saw what happened with JJ Taylor, like he turned himself into a player who was really, really good. I don't know how, I don't remember how highly regarded he was when he arrived on campus, but he left as a really good runner. He didn't get drafted, but he's also hurt a lot last season. I think JJ Taylor was one of those high three-star guys that if he was three, four inches taller would have been more highly recruited. And not at Arizona. Yeah. I think, I think you're right though, that uh, Arizona has a pretty good track record of, of putting up a lot of numbers on the ground, even with a lot of, you know, not highly touted offensive alignment guys that they've actually shown a pretty good uh, ability to develop over the last 10 years, which leads me to another commit we got last year, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> or last week. We flipped uh, Luke Eckerd from, uh, was it Northern Illinois? Yeah. The yeah. Six, six, you know, the guy that certainly looks the part. I know as soon as he got the commitment came down, it was very quick in the boards and on the Twitter machine of a lot of people saying that this might have been one of those guys that if you had the camps uh, and had, ha- hell, had a for sure fall football season, that might have had a lot more offers coming through. So this, you know, it's he's already kind of got that, uh, you know, that label attached as the potential guy that's under-recruited and somebody that could be a very fascinating development prospect for the Wildcats. 
Yeah, well, 6'7", 265, you figure he's probably getting a little bit of more weight to that frame, but it's it's interesting because when you see a guy that they flip from Northern Illinois, you don't say, like, wow, they flipped him from Northern Illinois, but Northern Illinois is not a bad program. Also had offers from Arkansas State, Bowling Green, Eastern Illinois, Eastern Michigan, North Dakota. Some directional schools, yes, but some solid directional schools. And and you see, this goes back to what we've talked about with someone we've noticed with him in his recruiting classes. There's certain attributes that weren't, weren't really looked at under Rich Rodriguez. Like, this is a big guy. And assuming Arizona keeps him, like, he already flipped once. <laughs> Until he signs, I guess there's always a chance he'll flip again. Same as the case for all these guys that have committed. But you can see a world where at 6'7", 265, he adds 20, 30 pounds to that frame. And he's a beast of an offensive lineman. So there are certain things you can't coach and... To your point, yeah, I mean, he might be one of those under-recruited guys. It is interesting, though, that's like I think Arizona, from what I read, offered him like a couple days before he committed. He's like, yep, okay, I'm in. You know, so excited. I guess he has – I think he has family in Tucson, if I remember right. Or there was one of the players that they got recently. I should have remembered who it was. Maybe it was – it might have been one of the, it might have been the, one of the receivers. But, like, at any rate, they brought him in, and you're like, okay, that's – even if he's not as highly rated, number 182 tackle in the country, number 54 prospect in the state, that's usually not something to get excited about necessarily. But you can see what Arizona's looking at in terms of what this guy could be. And, yeah, who knows where he'd be after a senior season in some camps or camps and then a senior season, what people would be looking at him as or what schools would be offering him or trying to get him. Yeah, no, you know, linemen are maybe the most notoriously difficult kind of guys to project. I mean – Hell, in the NFL draft, when guys are basically full-grown, they're hard to project as draft picks, right? Um, Trying to project a high school kid to playing in D1 when he's still putting on weight and has to learn all of the skills and the the technique to a large extent. Uh, But if you you go watch his film, you you look at that and you say, you know, maybe it's confirmation bias, but you say, wow, that guy is for as big as he is, he moves very well, which is what you want to see in a tackle, right? He can Mm -hmm. get out, he, he seems to like to finish run blocks he seems really light on his feet for a guy who's 265 pounds in six seven but you know it's it's a guy that'll be you know i i don't think he comes in with any expectation of getting much playing time any anytime soon but a, a really intriguing prospect to maybe have you know with a young jordan morgan in two maybe one or two years down the line you could have some really intriguing uh, size and athletic ability at the tackle spots. Yeah, it's the very things that they're looking for on the offensive line. And it wasn't the case in a rich ride. It's a different offensive system, sure. But when you see the tight and that, we've talked about that, it doesn't mean they're going to be good, right? Just because a player has NFL size doesn't mean he's going to be good. But it certainly means that they have a better chance of reaching the NFL because the NFL looks for certain things. So that's where you also look at the player development and – Arizona's offensive line, like, they were so beat up last season. It's hard to criticize Devan for that, you know, because they they were beat up and their quarterback situation wasn't exactly consistent. But assuming they can stay healthy, and even if they can't, like, this is the depth they're trying to build because they understand, like, you need as many offensive linemen as you can count on to go into the game because who knows, you might lose two or three of them on a single play. Like, those things apparently happen. Well, they certainly happened to Arizona. <laughs> But that, that was a good commit, like literally a big commit that they got. I think arguably the most exciting commitment Arizona got, like Stevie Rocker was an exciting commitment for people. Local kid, good running back. But they got a receiver, Tyrese Johnson from New Orleans, who was the 17th commitment in the class, six foot, 190 pounds. It's a high, high three-star. And you watch the film, he looks like a monster receiver, someone who could step on the field and contribute day one. A player who absolutely had other offers, 
and chose the Arizona Wildcats. All of a sudden, that receiver room, they're going to lose some guys, but you're going to say, hey, there's going to be some potential even going forward. Yeah, and we talked about that when we did the depth chart going through the roster, right? Like, there's a lot of guys in the receiver room, and you're just not sure who's going to have that star talent. You know, maybe Booby Curry, Jalen Johnson, who's a true freshman last year, also a guy that seems really intriguing. And then you got a lot of guys that seem like they'll they'll be used for players, but you don't know like if they're going to be like. Joyner. Yeah, Jamari Joyner. And then you got a lot of guys that you're not where they're what they're going to end up being. Uh, you know, it's just kind of some potential at this point. And you don't know. I, I don't know if you can hang your hat even on Booby Curry or even Jamari Joyner for that matter. If there's no, a guy that's got that it that it factor, you watch Tyrese Johnson's film, and that and you see his size and the you know he just seems to have that. That I, I think Michael Lev on that same Wildcaster pod called it the alpha dog out there mentality, yeah. um, and, and the fact that he's seems to have both some speed and some agility to make guys miss, as well as willingness to kind of you know mix it up with guys and be physical, combined with actually being six one as opposed to the Rich Rod Smurf guys that were five eight mm-hmm. trying to battle with cornerbacks. You know, you start to. You 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 put some development time behind Jalen Johnson and Booby Curry and Jamari Joyner, and you bring add Tyrese Johnson onto there, and you have a quarterback that can deliver the ball accurately, and with some you know ability to stretch the field. You know that starts to look kind of intriguing. It, it does, and there's a lot of people when we look at these commits, and you see the star ratings. Okay, they're decent, but then everyone then turns to the offer list, right? Because it's like, oh, well, if other schools, if other good schools want this player, then we kind of assume that. He's really good. Um, Johnson's list also included Arkansas, Colorado, Florida State, Houston, Kansas, Louisiana Tech, Louisville, Memphis, Miami, Mississippi State, SMU, like Tennessee, UCF, Virginia, LSU did not offer, but they were interested. They just hadn't gotten to the point where they offered. So this is a player who drew interest from a lot of schools that you could argue are better programs than Arizona. And what he's looking for, he, he, I saw an interview AZ Desert Storm had where he liked the family atmosphere. Which is interesting because he hasn't been on. He didn't get to meet the coaches, right? They're not doing that kind of recruiting, so it's all virtually. But they were able to convey to him what it would be like to play for Arizona in the program, and he is one of the highest-rated recruits now Arizona has for 2021. So, and you're right, like you look at him, he's got the size, and and he's going against high schoolers in the highlights that we see. But he looks bigger, he looks faster, and that's what you want. And, again, it goes back to the type of player that someone in his staff have been recruiting really since he got here. It's not those five foot eight receivers, which some of them, some of them are good, right? I mean, you, you can be five foot eight and a good receiver, but you want size as well. And the big-time players are getting are the size ones. And guys who you could say, and we've talked about this with Jamari Joyner as he transitions to wide receiver, he's got the size where if he produces, he will play on Sundays, or at least he'll get a chance to play on Sundays. And the same goes for Tyrese Johnson. If he produces with his measurables and his size, he will get a chance at the next level. Now, this is another one where you say, okay, I guess he may not have been under-recruited because you saw the offer list. Like, It's not like he's one of those guys who is like, oh, he's jumping at the Arizona offer because it's the first Power 5 offer he got. But certainly, until these guys sign, until those letters of intent are in, you wonder. But at the same time, like that's just a pessimist in me. Like, they didn't have to commit now. No one said that Tyrese Johnson had to commit, you know, right now. Well, and that'll be the interesting thing where, you know, it's questionable if schools, bigger programs will be able to evaluate players other than on film. And they 
oftentimes don't do the homework. They go to those camps, and those camps are not happening, and there's not even yeah. going to be senior film to watch, right? Um, but but everything you've seen from what Tyrese Johnson has said so far would lead you to believe that he was picking this school for the coaching staff and the environment and the culture they have. That I think he said they have a, the family culture they have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I take him at his word for that. I'm also quite sure he's not uh, committing to here because of the story of John Button Salmon or <laughs> Wilbur the Wildcat, as he also in his announcement said, hashtag go bears. <laughs> he's got a... Um, I mean, is this where we have to try to admit or go to this and say bear down is confusing for the Wildcats, even though there's, you know, legitimate reasons that every Wildcat knows? Well, my favorite thing is even ASU bros that just try to pick a fight. You're like, why is it called bear down? And I, you explain it to me like, I actually know the story. I just want to give you crap. And it's like, I like your cool. ASU fan voice, <laughs> your ASU bro voice. That was nice. I mean, I, c- I could have been uh, more drunk and condescending. <laughs> you could have been but you weren't and i respect it but but that's Fair the thing enough. like it's he was in a, I, I wrote about it for az desert so i'm about the buzz arizona has been generating on the recruiting trips because they're getting players and that does just because you're signing or getting guys to commit doesn't mean you're building this great class right we look at the rankings i think they're still sixth in the pac 12 but that's going to change as other schools start to get commitments but when you get a guy like tyrese johnson to commit that says something now he's a high three star but this is a player that could have gone to other bigger programs, could have come in. And whatever it is that Kevin Sumlin and that staff told him and sold him, he was buying it. So does that mean that the recruiting is better? Like, it's hard to say. It's not like it seems more exciting now than it has like it did last year. But I also don't know if that's because we have nothing else going on to get excited about, like in the sports world, or if it's a matter of expectations were so low. You know, because it's like, well, this staff's going to get fired anyway. Who's going to want to come here? It's like, oh, that they're getting anyone is exciting. But it certainly seems like, especially now in the last week or so, well, even starting with Clay Millen as well, like they're getting some players who are like, you know what? Not bad. Well, and that's that's kind of how classes tend to go, right? You get the depth guys and the, the guys that you think are diamonds in the rough early, right? And we've we went from no commits to probably one of the fuller classes, certainly in the Pac-12. Um, and when you when you start to fill your class out, then that allows you more time to devote resources, time and other resources to devote to recruiting the, the higher-rated guys, which who tend to, to decide later, right? Yeah. Um, and to your point, I think I saw Matt Moreno uh, of Rivals was talking about how he thinks it's a realistic, uh, at once, once it's all said and done, that... Uh, a Tyrese Johnson could end up being a four star as they reevaluate, but mm-hmm. who knows if I mean if nothing happens, no high school football happens, and no camps happen, I'm not sure how you decide to change ratings. <laughs> but not that, that not that, that really matters. He's <laughs> still the same same guy. He's still the same player, um, yeah. And that'll that'll influence the rankings uh, if they don't change that because that's what you're going to get. But um, you know, he I think he said that he a realistic, not just like a pie in the sky, you know, oh, if literally everything goes 100% right and you really surprised, like, he's talking in the, uh, a class in the, the mid-30s, right? Which seems Which, unreal. That's, that's, that, like, I think Rich Rod's highest class that I always like to criticize was, I think, that 2014 class, and I think that was, like, number 32 or something like that, well, and I think Stoops's highest classes were in, the, like, the low 20s, so, like, you're talking some of the highest recruited, rated recruiting classes ever can get that high. And it's just about how you finish now. And now you have a class mostly full. 
you can really focus in on those those harder to win battles. Well, and that's where it's going to be interesting too, because depending on when this next season starts, if it's pro- if it's not going to start on time, if it starts in the in January or in the spring, like we don't know. But the first thing is they have to like you want to add to this recruiting class, but you also need to make sure you keep these guys. And of course, if Arizona, if they were to start on time and struggle, and someone got fired. Who knows, right? Until these guys send in their letters of intent, they could go to any college they want or that's willing to take them. I guess not maybe any college they want. But so it's it gives them that option, though, like as a coaching staff to try to devote more attention to those other guys. But like maybe I'm grading them on a curve because being a class in like the mid to low 30s is not it's not great. Right. That's but when you look and say Arizona won five games and four games. This coaching staff does seem to be coaching for their jobs this season, this upcoming season. And if they can add their best class that they've had in Tucson under those circumstances, like, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something right. Yeah, if you had told me that they would end up with a class, or, I mean, it's still not settled yet, so we still don't know. But if if you told me six months ago that we would end up with a recruiting class in the mid-30s, I would call that a huge win for the, the coaching staff. Yeah, and, and you we wonder might, how they we got have a there. Chance of getting, yeah. I, I guess, I mean, playing time is a thing, and we thought that for the defense when they got all these commitments early on. We thought, okay, well, you look at how many linebackers are going to lose and defensive linemen, like, you could offer, if not guaranteed playing time as a freshman, an absolute shot at playing time, right? Like, that makes sense because players want to play. But offensively, when you get Clay Millen, who is going to sit behind Grant Cannell for at least a season, is the goal. And you have Montreal Johnson, who's a running back. You have... T- uh, you know, Stevie Rocker, another running back, Tyrese Johnson, receiver. These guys may not be key contributors as freshmen. And yet they're saying, you know, we will go to Arizona. Like, I don't know. Like I said earlier, I don't know what someone and his staff are selling like. And you don't throw a parade for recruiting classes in the mid 30s if they get there. I think Arizona right now is ranked number 45, which is would still make a really much better class than you expected. And that's the curve I think we're grading recruiting on right now is like, wow, given all that's surrounding them, given the uncertainty of the program and this coaching staff, if they can get high-quality talent to commit and arrive in Tucson, that's a that's a huge win and a surprising one. So there's still a lot that has to go on with this recruiting class. They have 17 hard commits right now. And, of course, other schools still have to land talent. We're seeing some of the highly rated guys, some of the high threes and four stars. You know, they're going to Pac-12 schools, too. But for right now, as we sit on July 22nd, Arizona's recruiting has been far better than I think any of us would have anticipated or guessed. Yeah, and can I go down a a slight recruiting roster management rabbit hole real quick with you? Yeah, let's do it. So I was thinking about this, and I was texting our uh, the friend our friend of the show, uh, Gabe Encinas, who joined us, is our kind of outside recruiting recruiting guru. You know, you talked about if the season gets delayed to the spring. You know, uh, for the listeners who don't know, you get twenty five scholarships per class and eighty five scholarships overall, right? So if you have four years, you can see how that math doesn't quite work out, and that's why sometimes you can have classes that have nineteen guys, and sometimes there's ways to get over twenty five. Say you have early enrollees that enroll in January. My question is, if you have guys that are potentially early enrollees here, they have the option of uh, being assigned to different classes, like the 2020 or 2021 class. Um, A, I don't know how many guys we're able to take in this class (laughs) if that happens. And then 
be if the season gets delayed to the spring and you're Arizona that's offering early playing time and these guys are as good as we hope they are, if they're an early enrollee that's in high school right now, can they play if the season starts in January as an early enrollee? That is such a good question. I honestly have no idea. This is the type of mess that, never mind trying to get on the field and play safely and everything, but if they do, there's so many other things that they have to figure out. And it's the NCAA, so you know they're going to have an efficient and smart plan in place that everyone's going to understand <laughs> and have no issue with. So that's that's the good thing about it. But yeah, you're, you're right, Brad. Like, there's all those things where it's like, never mind just trying to do it safely, which is number one most important thing about trying to play football whenever they do it again. But if they do it in the spring, what does that do? Like, what does that mean for those other things? For scholar, Like we saw for the spring sports, they allowed seniors to come back, right? For softball and baseball, if they wanted a quick turn, they could. But that created a whole roster issue, too, because now it's like, well, they were now incoming freshmen who were going to expect to be part of the roster. And people like, it's a mess. <laughs> and like we I guess the hope is that we have to figure out what happens, you know, that football can be played maybe in January. Like that's the hope. Right. I mean, the hope I guess would still be sometime in the fall or, you know, November or something they could start. But I think we would all take January. But what does that mean for like the academic year, the academic calendars? All it's so different. The sports calendar is all different. Can you imagine also just football during football and basketball all at the same time like and like all for every sport all packed into like four months from january on like it would be craziness but yeah i don't know you know you know it'd be funny if all of those sports get crammed into four months in the spring suddenly people are going to find it so easy to quarantine at home for four months because they're just going to sit home and watch sports for nine hours a day. Oh, geez. Can you, I don't know if I'd like that or be all depressed after it because this is an Arizona podcast. We understand how sometimes things go. <laughs> let's, let's see if the Wildcats can lose in March Madness and a bowl game all on my same birthday party in March. <laughs> oh, that would be... I guess that would mean at least Arizona made a bowl game, which is another issue. Without the non-conference schedule, are there fewer bowl games? Because bowl eligibility is going to be a lot more difficult for teams to get to. So, so we'll see. I, I mean, the the good part or the argument for keeping a billion bowl games is nobody wants to travel to the dinky little bowl games anyway. So there's no fans there, so it's not as much of a health risk. That, that's true. Um, one more player Arizona got, another one that would be for this season. They got a transfer from New Mexico State, defensive lineman Roy Lopez, which when he announced he was going to transfer, a lot of people linked him to Arizona, and that turned out to be good. He's from the Tucson area. He's and, from the – what or, he went or to from school Tempe, I think, from Arizona, rather. It was, I think was it Blackwell was from Tucson or someone. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So Lopez comes in, though. He, was, he got injured last season, but he's actually been pretty good when he was on the field for New Mexico, uh, for a team that needs bodies on defense and preferably productive bodies on defense, he seems to absolutely fit the mold. Yeah, he's got size and he's got a motor, and he seems to have been fairly productive, granted, at a smaller smaller school. But, you know, if there's one thing that is the uh, the mystery of this roster, as we talked about, you know, there you would seem like there's some talent on the defensive line, but then there's there's a big gap in depth and especially at the D-line, I think depth is incredibly critical. So having a guy of this size and potential impact ability is going to be something that it, whenever this season happens, <laughs> you know, is a guy that can 
you know, him and Blackwell, along with what we already have with Tapusoa, J.P. Brown, uh, Trayvon Mason, Keon Bars, if if they play to their potential, that's, you know, the names sound like a decent rotation. The production in the last year, at least for the Arizona guys, leaves a lot of question marks. Yeah. So it's, you know, and I think for those guys that were here but not necessarily productive, having these guys there as competition for snaps is only going to help make them better. And, and one thing I do like about that group, besides the fact that, yeah, there is seemingly talent there, is there is experience. And for the defensive line and some of these guys, Blackwell and Lopez specifically, they're older, so they're bigger, they're strong. And not to say that like, Tapusoa isn't strong or Trevon Mason's not strong, right? Like these guys are. You don't play defensive line if you're weak. But there is a sense of like these are grown men playing a position where being a grown man helps. So, and it's just bodies. And if their defensive line can be better, we've talked about this before when we were doing our previews, if the defensive line can play better, then the linebackers are going to benefit. And if the defensive line can play better, then the secondary is going to look better too. So it starts up front. That's a very football cliche, but it's, it's true. And if the, the defensive line has enough guys to rotate in, I remember it's a 3-4 defense now that they're moving to, so they don't need as many on the field at a time. If you can rotate in fresh bodies, fresh players who have some skill, have some ability, then it's going to be a different defense. It's going to look like a different defense and probably be a better defense. Oh, and boy, with a, when you're putting in a new scheme, a three and a you know a new three four base defense, if you can get competent defensive line play there as guys are learning how to operate in that after going from a you know three three five to a kind of four two five under Marcel Yates, you know you can you can really set the guys up behind the defensive line even more so I think during that learning period. Um, because you know we've talked about that without having the spring practice, it it I think it frightens both of us that guys haven't had time to learn that learn that scheme, yeah, it's learn not their ideal. roles. And then you know if the season gets pushed to the spring, maybe that's a way of helping, you know, give some ability for those guys to learn that. But you know it's 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 just like uh, with the, the the other commitments. I think getting Roy Lopez is somebody that there's no there's no downside here. No, no, not at all. Like experience, depth, production somewhere else, you'll absolutely take that. So, Brett, we talked a lot about what Arizona football could look like in the future. The question is, though, when will that future happen and what will it mean? Let's talk about that after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're back now, and Brett, as we said, and you mentioned it a little bit before, Arizona's roster construction, we're looking at it and say, we understand what they're doing with the players they're getting in the recruiting class, especially the 2021 recruiting class. But we also don't know when the 2020 season's going to start, and depending on when it starts, that can open up a huge can of worms for not just the program, but college football as a whole, and just how they handle a season that is different than all other seasons. Yeah, like I was hinting at, you know, a lot of the, a lot of schools get really good at roster management 
you know, I mentioned you get 25 commits per class, like 25 scholarships, you know, 25 guys per class times four years, that'd be 100 scholarship guys, right? But you don't, the NCAA allows you 85. So some of these guys that we had as like transfers in, uh, a lot of the times those guys can count towards a different class because they count to the 85 and you just have to assign them to one class. And that's where mid-year enrollees that start in January, like I think Grant Gannell last was he he was a he was a January enrollee, right? Like quarterbacks tend to do. I think so. Or uh, Will Plummer might have been. Oh no. yeah, I think. I think he might have been. Um, At any rate, those early enrollees have the ability for the program. So say somebody in the year uh, before leaves the program, that opens up a spot, and they can. Put, count that person towards the year before and therefore go above 25 in the current year class, right? So I think Arizona's up to 17 commits already, which is pretty high. Last year, I think they had only ended up at 22. With in a, in a world where college football may not start, like, you know, Justin Spears, I think he was last week, he was saying the most likely outcome was probably wait until the, the new year, 2021, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of touched touched on it. Like, if we have early enrollee guys, are they able to come in and play immediately at Arizona? And what is that implications for how you try to fill out this class? And when playing time is that, you know, a premium for some of these young guys? Can you imagine being a high school kid right now that says, oh, I could be playing college football at a Power 5 school in January, and I'm, you know, 17 years old right now? The, the, the challenge, and this will be the interesting thing, is it's it's the academic school year, right? You know, and that's how they do these things. It's like there's the spring semester that starts in January. The academic calendar is one thing. The athletic calendar usually just goes along with it. But that's that's a good question. And also, what would that mean for people's eligibility, right? You get how many – usually you just get how many years, but it would be how many seasons. Because if you were to play, and maybe they won't do it this way, we'll see, but two football seasons in the year 2021, like, is that like, – how does that work? I guess is. Because it's one year, like, but I guess I guess it'd be a spring semester from one school year and then the fall semester from the next one. But there's a it's going to be messy if that's what happens. But to your point with roster construction, like that's absolutely a thing that coaching staffs, the good ones, do. You look at your roster. What kind of players are you going to need? When are you going to need them? Who are you replacing? And Arizona, you could see what they were doing, and we touched on this before with going defense heavy with this class because they're losing a lot of defense from this season. But depending on when this season happens, that changes the whole thing. And to your point, scholarship limits roster management in that regard. I don't know how they can do it because they don't know what's going to happen. Like if you're a coaching staff, I feel like you have to just recruit things as normal and treat things as it's just like a normal recruiting cycle. And then whatever happens after that, you just figure it out. But it's certainly something to look at because it's it's something that we don't think about. And we're like, okay, is football going to happen? But if football does happen, first, yay. And then second, they're going to have to pick up some pieces. Do you think that if football gets delayed to 2021, is that a net benefit for a program like Arizona that has been underperforming and is going to count on younger guys that need more physical development? And conversely, a net detriment to the schools like the USC's and Clemson's that have guys that are just going to say, screw it, I'm not going to risk my health Maybe just prepare for the draft? Uh, but we don't know because Colin Schooler could do the same, right? Both schoolers who are with Arizona could do the same. Like, there's going to be players who say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to prove anything in my 
eight-game, ten-game season, whatever it's going to be at Arizona. So I'm going to just start getting ready for the NFL draft for a pro day and all that. So, like, we laugh at the idea of USC's and Clemson's and Oregon and them losing players for this season, but we have to see what happens with Arizona, right? Because, I mean, shoot, they're losing guys in the offseason. So, <laughs> so we never know. In terms of development, though, I guess if they're not starting football until, say, January, does that mean they don't think it's safe for anyone to be on the field until when? And by the time Arizona can get on the field to actually do because they have a whole new coaching staff still. We have to remember that. Our defensive coaching staff who has not been on the field with this team really hardly at all. So are they going to be behind in, like, physical development? Well, let's see what they're able to do when they're not in school, right? Whatever workout programs they have at home, and not everyone has the same type of setup. But I'd be very curious to see which players, even from Arizona, there's going to be some who say, eh, it's just not worth it. Now, does that mean there's earlier playing time for some of these younger guys who we have some excitement about? Maybe, but that doesn't necessarily mean a good thing. Like if Colin Schooler decides he doesn't want to play, which would be understandable, he's had three very productive seasons in Tucson. He doesn't necessarily need a fourth to go any to further his NFL draft prospects. If he decides he doesn't want to play, well, now you lost both middle linebackers from last season's team, and you're in trouble there. You know, if Lorenzo Stop Burns speaking decides, that into existence. Yeah, right. <laughs> if Lorenzo Burns decides he doesn't want to play his last season, you know, now your cornerback, your depth is better there but he's a guy you were relying on. So I'm not like, I'm not hoping for that. Like I'm like anyone, I think we're all hoping for football to be as close to normal as possible, but certainly that's an interesting storyline to follow. If they decide, if it's announced and like, if the numbers of COVID-19 are going down and it's like, they announce, okay, we're going to have football. The first game is going to be mid January plan for that. Then it's like, okay, well now what? It's all hypothetical. It's interesting hypotheticals because it's unprecedented. Like there's no blueprint for how to do this and what the NCAA is going to mandate, what they're going to change in their, their rules. Like they're changing things already, but it's kind of more reactionary than proactive. And that's kind of where they're at right now. Do you think a, I mean, let me rephrase this as I think, but I'm curious to hear your opinion. A big domino that's going to impact college football is whether the NFL pushes back its draft date. And they've already said they don't want to, they have no plans to do that. And why should they, right? (laughs) <laughs> well, they have no plans to until they have to. <laughs> but that, the, the draft date, unless the GMs and the teams say, we need to see these players on the field, then it's not going to happen. And even then, like, I I don't know if it's fair to expect a player to play, like a college player to play a spring football season, then get drafted in, say, May, and then be in an NFL training camp in August. Like, basically two football seasons in one year, that's... That ain't right. <laughs> yeah, the body is not made for that. No, it's not made for football to begin with, let alone two football seasons in the same year. So I don't think the NFL would do that. They've already said, why would we? Like, I guess to paraphrase, <laughs> like they, they, that was brought up. They're like, no, like there's no reason for them to do that. Like, which is weird because it's like the NFL gets free minor league out of college. It's like their minor league system for what they want to do. And then like the college games like, hey, you want to do us a favor here? Do us a solid and help us out here so we can keep our best talent in for this season they're like nah but when you're the nfl you can do that like again like, things could change everything could change but i don't think the nfl would have any qualms with saying you know what they're just going to be whenever it's going to be like sc- scheduled to be and they'll just figure it out from there and to be fair most players like trevor lawrence clemson who would probably sit out everyone's seen what he can do i don't think he needs another season to prove himself so it's not going to be nfl just saying oh man if he doesn't play his final season we don't know if we're going to draft him you know, they're, they're, most of those players who are going to be draft picks right now, they're going to be draft picks even if there's no season. 
Everyone knows that. If they played two seasons, three seasons, people know what they are. Yeah, though you're so cynical on the NFL, Adam. Remember, they are, in fact, a nonprofit organization, technically. <laughs> technically. <laughs> no, it's just I don't think they have any reason to do that. And to some degree, there might be NFL teams who say they'd rather these guys play just their freshman and sophomore seasons and have a little bit less tread on them going to the NFL. You know, knowing that they're going to be healthy, well rested, like they'd prefer that. And if you're a, if you're a Highland talent who's probably a first round pick, you get to. It's kind of like the the basketball players, who when they just when they decide to go pro early, like we're just going to start focusing on the NBA and the training and training and training for that, not going to school or anything or any classes. If you can do that for football, how many NFL teams are like you know what? We don't mind that our stud running back who we want to draft is not going to be getting any carries from January on, you know, doesn't have any carries really for the last calendar year. And he's been working out NFL skills. Well, the other, the other question, I believe the NFL draft eligibility rules is it's technically three years removed from when you graduated high school, right? Yeah. So even if you don't have a, let's let's say worst case scenario, we don't even have a school year here, don't have a football season. Everybody that would have been a junior is now draft eligible, correct? Yep. Yeah, there's no Boy, nothing that all, says they have to play three all, college seasons. They just have to be three years removed from high school. It's all such a mess. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> but like that's, I guess. If you're, you're an Arizona Wildcats fan, you say chaos is a ladder. <laughs> And your hypothetical could very well become what happens, right? Like, that's absolutely a thing. There's just, like, so many things that we have to figure out first before we can get to that point. And to Arizona's credit, like, even, like, their COVID-19 stuff, they haven't had really hardly any cases of the players they brought back. So the program they've had in place, they're not bringing anyone back yet, any more players back. But it seems like what they're doing so far has been working. But that's not the case around the country. And And we've seen that. So... It'd be, it'd be nice if this wasn't a topic of conversation right now. You know, if we got to this point here in July and we could see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of live sports. But the thing we also have to remember is these are student-athletes, and if college campuses aren't, if they deem it not safe enough for students to be on campus, then it's not necessarily going to be easy sell to say, but athletes need to be here. They need to play. It's safe for them. It's just not safe for everyone else. So it's hard to believe that they will get they will get to that point where they have college sports, especially football, if they don't have just college to begin yeah. with. Yeah, I think you hit on a point that I think Ken Summers had an, a column on that where it's coronavirus is unintentionally really shining a light on how people view student athletes as athlete students and whether they are there for our entertainment or there to be going to school. Um and I think your point is right, because if you don't have if it's not safe enough for students, why is it safe enough for athletes to be there? They're not being paid technically. You know, they're not professional athletes making four million dollars a year. This is their employment. Um, and so it I, I think there's also ramifications for, you know, all the NCAA lawsuits and people, their ability to be paid and use their personal likenesses. There's. It, a lot of things are going to come to the surface, I think, as a result of this. Yeah, well, it's going to change things. As they said in Hamilton, like, the world turned upside down. And it will. You haven't seen Hamilton, have you? I just watched it on Disney Plus in the last week. It was delightful. 
It was. So we shall see. Well, Brett, we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we ask some questions through the Wildcat Radio AZ Twitter account. We ask four questions, and we're going to give you answers to those questions that we got. So let's do that right after this break. So, Brett, you sent out the question through the Wildcat Radio AZ Twitter account, at Wildcat Radio AZ, for a little mailbag, because we like to know, we'd like to know what you all want to know. So, Brett, we did get some questions on the Twitter machine. What do we got? Well, let me uh, give you the first one, and then you can read to me the, the next one. Uh, the, there was a three-part question we got from friend of the pod, Gavin Encinas. Let me see if I can track that down. Oh, no, I think I lost it. <laughs> you were prepared. Oh, see what happens when I try to uh, operate uh, two things at once. It's just doomed to fail. Yeah, I guess. Here we go. Do someone, Kevin Sumlin and Herm Edwards, have their programs trending in exactly opposite directions from when first hired? That's this <laughs> first question. I, it looks like it, right? Like, if you look, if you just talk to people, there's a feeling that ASU is ascending and Arizona, if it hasn't, you know, reached the bottom, is descending. I I don't, maybe this is going to come off as a homer, I honestly don't think the programs are all that different in reality. But perception certainly, and of course, wins and losses the last couple of seasons is different. But ASU, they're in on all these recruits, and everybody's like, oh, look at what they're doing there. They're mostly landing three-star guys, too. You know, occasional four-star receiver. They're not exactly blowing it up on the recruiting trail, but the vibe is certainly different. The media, the way people talk about ASU, especially compared to U of A, is very different. Yeah, I think that I think that the narrative has definitely been trending much better for ASU. And to be fair, the on-field performance and wins and losses, which is ultimately what matters and drives the narrative more than anything, a couple years into the into their tenures, uh, respectively, is. You know, there's, there's, it's hard to argue, right? Yeah. Now, when you're saying where trending is going, you'd like to think as a Wildcats fan, you can't get much lower than the last two seasons in terms of wins. So that trend is about to shift, my friend. At least I'd like to hope so. Yeah, at some point, Arizona's <laughs> going to reach rock bottom, right? And, and hopefully it's turned around. I mean, hopefully this recruiting class that we're talking about is a sign that things are turning in the right direction, that the defensive coaching staff someone brought in is a type that will get things moving in the right direction. Whereas, here's the thing, though. Like, when both uh, Herm Edwards and Kevin Sumlin were hired different times in the calendar, but uh, Herm Edwards' hire was mostly mocked. The Sumlin hire was mostly praised. So, in that, when you're grading on that curve, that's where you see some of the differences here, right? And we've talked about before, what if Arizona doesn't choke away that first Territorial Cup? They go to a bowl game, too. They're 1-0 against ASU. They don't have that huge collapse. The entire narrative is different, especially going into year two. Does that mean Arizona's better than a four-win team last season? Not necessarily, but the narrative is different. If you're ASU, there were really no expectations when Herm took over, at least not in a positive way. So the fact that they've just been decent, and Jaden Daniels is a good young quarterback, but is he going to be better than Grant Cannell will be? I'm not so sure. Like, both of them show so much promise, but Daniels started the entire season for a team that went to a bowl game. So it's like Jaden Daniels, one of the top young quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Well, Arizona has one, too, who 
looks like he's going to be pretty damn good as well. And But that's the narrative, right? For ASU, it's look at their young quarterback. And the only people that talk about Gunnell in Arizona are the actual, like, the junkies, the Pac-12 or college world junkies. Like, yeah, did you see what Grant Gunnell did? I think pro football focus had him rated really highly. You know, like the people who really do that, but on the outside, for people who don't look at these things for their jobs or because they host a Wildcat podcast, they don't notice that. Yeah, and I think I think uh, Gabe's second question kind of helps lead into that trend uh, where he asked, do you think someone's classes, do you think with someone's classes there is a better foundation slash skill level to the program than a typical Rich Rod class? I mean, yes, but that's only because we've seen, like to me it's not actually, Rich Rod was recruiting players for his scheme. And he was around for six seasons. Like, he was recruiting guys. We'd laugh like the OKGs, the smaller linemen and all that. But that was his scheme. That's what they were running. Does that mean that it's better players than what someone was, is going for? Not necessarily. It doesn't necessarily mean they're worse either. You know, they're just for that scheme. Now, the problem is someone has a completely different style. And he's having to slowly build that in his kind of roster. And we've talked about that with the size on the defensive line, the size on the offensive line at receivers, where Richard's players weren't bad. I mean, the guy went to bowl games in all but, like, one season with U of A and won a Pac-12 South went to the Fiesta. Well, it's not like he was recruiting terrible players for the most of his time in Tucson, but the type of player that Rich Rodriguez was looking for is absolutely different than the type of player that Kevin Sullivan's looking for. Yeah. I think you hit on one of the things that's the, I think the, the common answer is the foundational side is the size that I think that's been a noticeable difference. You know, I think that the Rich Rod's undoing in recruiting classes, if you, if you kind of go back and look back on it, you know, they had he had a lot of fairly highly rated guys. The problem is a lot of those guys were not around beyond, you know, a year or two or never contributed. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, think think, uh, you know, you want size offensive lineman. Jordan Poland was a four star commit uh, six, six and a half, three thirty three. He that that's a sad story. Marcus Griffin was six three, three hundred pounds, high three, low four star guy from Washington. Never really contributed, and then transferred to uh, I think Central Michigan, maybe. Um, you know, I think the the answer for Rich Rod's failure as a recruiter was there was there whether whatever you want to call it, or maybe it's some combination of things. The guys, the miss rate was too high for a program like Arizona to survive that in the long run, right? Like the yeah, Jordan Pollins and Marcus, the Jordan Pollins and Marcus Griffins, where you get nothing out of them at Arizona, essentially. And th- th- I mean, you can go through each class in those in those years and be like, wow, we, you know, Jace Whitaker was the lowest rated guy I think that class and ended up being by far the most valuable in terms of on the field production, I think, or at least one of the most, right? So it seems like at least so far, you know, the, the 2019 class, I think the early returns for Kevin Sumlin have been pretty good. You know, the 2020, we'll see. Um, check back in a year or two, right? But the size is certainly there. So you have these these balls of clay, and then we'll see what kind of comes of it. Yeah, and what I would say is the where I'm kind of excited about Kevin Sumlin's class, this isn't grading on the curve. It's like, how are they getting decent players? Rich Rodriguez, arguably the biggest issue he had was not building on his early success at Arizona. You know, like they won a Pac-12 South title with a class that was ranked sixth in the Pac-12 in 2014. Their 2015 class, not as good. They ranked ninth in the Pac-12. 
43rd overall. Like, they got worse after winning a Pac-12 title. And you'd think that that success should beget more success. Like, you show that, hey, you can come to Tucson and win. You should get better players. And it never got better after that. In fact, it got worse. So, to that end, it's that was, I think, Richard's biggest failing. Not the type of players he was recruiting. Because, again, he recruited players who fit his system perfectly and was getting the team to bowl games, which I know seven wins isn't a benchmark that we all want to strive for. But at the same time, if you're Arizona, you take that right now. You know, so... That that's my biggest concern. I don't know what happened with Richrod if he got a little bit, if his staff got lazy on the recruiting trail or what have you, but they had early success and were not able to capitalize on it on the recruiting trail. Meanwhile, Sumlin has not had any success on the field, and it seems like he's doing at least as good as Richrod was by the time Rich Rodriguez was done with Arizona, right? Like so even with poor performance on the field, he's still landing as good players, at least rankings. Now it might be better players based on the size and the tools they bring. But in terms of rankings, they're not any worse than they were under Rich Rodriguez, which is either a credit to Sumlin, a knock against Rich Rodriguez, or a little bit of both. Well, and then you mentioned 2015. I just pulled it up out of curiosity. The top three rated guys on 247 Sports are two offensive linemen and one defensive lineman. Keenan Walker, another miss mm-hmm. for he was a four star. reasons. Anthony Fotu was kicked off the team fairly early never contributed that much and then you had Cody Creason who had a nice career so you know you can't you can't do you can't you can't be successful at Arizona at the end of the day if you're you know not hitting on go ahead no you look at the next season Michael Latisi never really did anything for Arizona Kolo Tate obviously we know his career Chachu Uloa who ended up transferring he didn't do anything Devon Cooper like it wasn't. He just wasn't able to get. And you, to your point, like they missed a lot of, on a lot of their better recruits. Like their higher end recruits were not. They did not live up to that billing. And well, they found some diamonds in the rough behind there. Like your best players or your best recruits need to be some of your best players, or at least be good contributors. And Arizona had far too many that were not. But that's my point. Like the recruiting classes, they didn't get better after winning a Pac-12 South. How like how does that happen? Like what happened <laughs> to where you're winning games? You won ten games. And with an exciting style of football, and players did not want to come to Arizona. Now, either they were purposely trying to recruit guys who were lower rated, saying that, you know, the OKGs and their kind of guys and all that, which is fine if you hit on them, but you're obviously not. So, like, time will tell. Like, if someone gets six seasons in Tucson, we'll see. I think if he gets there, I assume something went right starting this year. But at least on the surface, when you look at the type of player someone's bringing in, it does seem to be, if not a better fit for the like for his system than Richrod's were for his, better fit for potential of success in Tucson. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think the other, I think the long term downside of the way Richrod recruited the small guys is that those guys are less likely to get drafted in the NFL. And if you go several years in a row without getting NFL draft picks it makes it really hard to recruit guys that aspire to be in the NFL, right? Yeah. At least yeah. with the guys that have that size, they, you know, they check that box and then we'll see how they develop. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, was that it from Gabe or do we have any more questions from him? Well, he also put on first Pokemon card that comes to mind right now. And that's clearly for you as me being somebody that does not partake of the Pokemon. I, I can't think of the card that comes to mind. I just know that I used to have them and my parents got rid of them and they're probably all worth money now. And I wish that hadn't happened. 
So don't remember which one comes to mind. I think I had a Gyarados that was really cool. But other than that, I just know that they're not in my possession anymore, and that disappoints me financially. You could have just made up that name, and I would have no idea whatever that Pokemon was. Don't lie. If we didn't name that Pokemon, who's that Pokemon? You'd you figure it out. Yeah. Well, I think let's get off of Pokemon. I think we got one last question, Adam. Do you want to yeah, read it? Yeah, we do. Me? From a friend of ours, Adam L. at Leadman. asks, hey, guys, who has been the most exciting overall commit for the fall football season so far? Most needed? And my first response is, what fall football season? But Damn it. You, you, you preempted my joke. I was going to say, which fall? <laughs> like of, 20, of 2020 or 2021? Uh, um, no, I think it's a good question, Adam. Uh, and I think we kind of, <laughs> my joke response of which fall, I think that is a way to bifurcate this question, right? Because there's who's going to be the most exciting for this, whatever this next coming football season is. Right now, I'm pretty excited actually about Roy Lopez because I think he's going to be a guy that can actually impact day one, potentially mm-hmm. starting and really beef up the defensive line. It's not a you know sexy pick, but like I think of the guys that have recently committed, he's the guy that makes me feel better about uh, whenever that next season starts. Um, in terms of the long run, I'm gonna I'm kind of I'm torn between. Shockingly, our two highest-rated recruits, <laughs> um, Clay Millen and both Tyrese Johnson, are guys that have that potential star, you know, written on them. I think I'm going to lean a little bit more towards Tyrese Johnson because I think that's something that's been lacking at Arizona for a while. Uh, that kind of star alpha receiver that also has size. U of A's had some really nice receivers over the last several years, but they haven't. You know, who's the last big star, game-changing type receiver they had? You know. Jerron Kreiner. Austin Hill, that first season I mean, under Rich Rod was great. Yeah, but I mean, he was a he was a freshman and then tore his knee and then kind of became a, a, a little more of a, a role player. guy. Right? Like Caleb Eventually, Jones was good, but not like a superstar. Yeah, he, you know, I think Jerron Kreiner was a guy that was a red zone target, right? Mm-hmm. And a guy that could change the game. Um He's the he's the first one that comes to mind, and boy, how long ago was that at this point? As opposed to looking at ASU, looking at what Nikhil Harry, Brandon Ayuk, those guys, Jalen Strong, yeah, Jalen Strong. These guys, these are guys that can win or lose you a game, right? Yeah, absolute um, game changers. Especially in in the college game, where <laughs> that kind of star, like a superstar receiver, can literally win you a couple games in a season, right? Yeah, and they change how defenses approach you. I think yeah, if you're looking yep. at if you're looking at this upcoming season, the recruits that intrigue me the most, Frank Brown, the athlete, he was a highly rated guy who looks like they just need to find a way to get him on the field. Um, I read a lot about Stacy Marshall Jr., community college guy who is like supposed to be known as a blocker, but he just he's just huge and looks like he can contribute and play right away. Um, and of course, like long term, there's a defensive lineman, Paris Shand, for one, Chantrell Key. You know, like these are guys who you're like, wow, they they develop, they could be. They could be something. Also, just Leif Magnuson, his just name is awesome. So I'm excited about him. But And then to next season's class, you mentioned a couple guys. To me, the Montreal Johnson's a guy. You look at him and say he could be like a bell cow type running back for them at a position where they have plenty of talent, but he looks like he's going to fit right in being at or near the top when he does get to campus. But, of course, like Tyrese Johnson, if he's every bit the number one receiver that a lot of people think he could be, he's going to be a game changer pretty much from the moment he steps onto campus. 
And, of course, Clay Millen, the first of the really big-time recruits to commit to Arizona. You know, he's only a three-star, and he won't ideally take the field for a couple of seasons at least. But he seems like the type of quarterback that other guys will want to play with and has a lot of potential to be the next quarterback after Grant Cannell. And it's always nice when you have your quarterback situation figured out. <laughs> like, like, and that helps. That's how you get guys like Tyrese Johnson and Montrell Johnson to commit to Arizona when they're like, okay, they know who their quarterback's going to be who's throwing on the ball. They know it's going to be a good offense. Like, it's a lot easier to recruit receivers when those receivers trust your quarterback system. And it looks like Arizona at least is going to be set at quarterback. Will Plummer, another guy who's part of this current recruiting class, uh, the one that will take the field next, is fairly highly thought of as well. So Arizona's quarterback looks better. Clay Millen looks like a really high-end recruit for them to take over for Grant Cannell when that time comes. I think you pretty much covered most of the, the last year and this year's recruiting classes. See, if we just say every player, then we got them. We're right. I... <laughs> You say that, and then we're going to get some some new great recruit that's going to commit as soon as we're done recording here tonight. I'll take that. That'd be that'll be the guy. Like, I mean, I would too. I we'll, we'll we'll talk about that next week if it happens. You know, like hopefully it does. But thanks, Gabe and Adam, for your questions. We definitely appreciate that. As always, we'll send out the we'll send out the tweet every week. But at Wildcat Radio AZ, if you just have any questions, hit us up. Uh, we will be happy to answer them on the next podcast. But Brett. Anything else we need to talk about? How are we feeling? You know, it's a the roller coaster is is has been more fun this week, at least as it comes to Arizona football. Now we just gotta hope that we can have a football season at some yeah, point. Right. So that's that. As always, you know, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, pretty much everywhere you can get a podcast. Smash that subscribe button, as they say because we want you listening to everything that Wildcat Radio 2.0 is producing, including the play-by-play tracks from Bryant and the gang from old-school Arizona basketball games that with a new-school twist on play-by-play. They're delightful times if you haven't haven't done so. Yeah, and it's, and if they're they're always good games for Arizona fans. I don't I don't anticipate them ever doing like a Wisconsin tournament game or Duke in the championship game. So I think no matter what you listen, you're going to be one entertained and two, very happy when the game is over. Yeah, you would think so. Though I still think at some point when we get to the bottom of the barrel in uh, no sports world, it'd be fun to anger watch like the Houston game for football. Oh, <laughs> and just be like, hey, they're going to throw the, the the streak down the left side. Yep, they're going to do it again. Yep, they're going to do it again. How much alcohol will we need for that show? All of it. All of the alcohol. You do you you finish your beer every time Houston scores a touchdown. And we're dead. <laughs> Good idea, Brad. So well, as always, we'll see what happens over the rest of the week with Arizona like the next week with Arizona football and basketball too. We're gonna start getting into some basketball talk because in terms of seasons, that one seems to be the least in jeopardy. But also who the hell knows? But Arizona, at least they figure out a way to get their foreign players on campus when that thing was put out there that they were going to not allow people from other countries in. Everybody's like, wait, what happens to these recruits? Well, that, that's gotten taken care of anyway. So, yeah, but whatever happens over the next week, we'll be sure to talk to it, talk about it, rather. And until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.